Welcome to the Health Humanities Podcast. Our mission is to facilitate interdisciplinary thinking and creative work related to illness, caregiving, and medicine. I'm Elizabeth Coletti, the Editor-in-Chief of the Health Humanities Journal of UNC Chapel Hill, and this episode we'll hear from Ben Ashby, who's a medical student at the UNC School of Medicine, currently on a gap year at Duke Divinity School. We'll start with hearing him read his personal narrative, Wrinkles. We hope you enjoy. This is Wrinkles. For a bit over a year now, I've had the privilege of being in love. It's ridiculous to say, but every moment of every day is made more colorful because my fiance is in my life. Though we spend most of these moments apart, I can't stop dreaming about the future, wondering what it might be like to spend bits of every day with her, full of long walks and babies falling out of clouds. In one of those moments, I wrote Timber a poem. I think I'd like to see your wrinkles, to watch crinkles at the corner of your eye become folds in the sun, celebrating the giant forehead creases you'll get from laughing too much, to grow old and crooked together, pretending to be grumpy when our grandkids aren't around, knowing you so closely that I discover your wrinkles before anyone else. I think your wrinkles will be beautiful. This was what I envisioned love to be like. Two people becoming entirely familiar with each other, with beauty and quirks giving way to poor eyesight and early dinners over the course of decades. It's a touching description of love, but through my time in the hospital, I'm realizing it may not paint the full picture. Here's a bit of what I mean. I met Adonis in the pediatric ICU. He was diagnosed with neuroblastoma at three months. His parents hadn't finished decorating his room, in their new rental home before he was whisked back to the hospital, maybe to never come home again. They prayed that his cancer, a type known for granting miracles, would wish itself away. But there was a fear that it would kill him. I met Mary, a 40-year-old woman with metastatic cervical cancer. She'd gotten married the year before, two years after her diagnosis. She and her husband knew full well at the wedding that she was going to die. Their marriage revolved around her day-to-day decline in health. She'd been so sick for the last three months they'd not even gotten to share a kiss. I met Josh, a man who has had 15 abdominal surgeries since 2000. He lived with a bladder bag and a bowel bag. He was morbidly obese. His hair was greasy and thin. He was too tired to speak in full sentences. He fell in love in 1995, five good years, followed by 19 where his wife drained his urine three times a day paying fractions of their bills with his disability stipend. Her dancing partner was gone. She doesn't travel anymore. They haven't got any kids. I met Alfonso, a man who would lose his right arm. He was married in 1999. In 2002, his wife had a cerebral aneurysm rupture. She has no short-term memory, so she asks him the same questions every day. She needs help using the restroom and dressing herself. He fell in love with her for her cooking. He had left his job to care for her and wondered what would happen now without two good hands. Love can be a promise to celebrate each other, enjoying life in the company of someone you care about. Sometimes you do get to grow old with the people you love, but it's rarely like you imagine. Love comes with a cost. 
the hospital is a place where many discover this cost for the first time. The introduction of unexpected suffering can be debilitating for the patient and their loved ones. As I watch dozens of families come to grips with new and disappointing realities, I felt some of this fear well up in myself. Love can be a commitment to suffer someone's death before your own. How could I keep a promise like that? It was in my second interaction with Alfonso that I found an answer. I visited him after his fasciotomy, before they were forced to amputate his hand. He was recovering well, anxious to return home to his wife. I reassured him that his wife was safe in the care of home health nurses, tentatively, as if asking for a friend. I then mentioned the caregiver's burden and asked where he found hope. Alfonso pursed his lips, eyes following the lines in the ceiling tile, and said, I can't imagine doing anything else. It seemed I had been asking myself the wrong question. Caring for a loved one as they face unexpected life-limiting illness may be a great burden, but it would be a much greater burden to leave them alone. Say I were to run from this secondhand suffering, who would fill my place? Could I move on knowing that the woman or the parent or the child that I loved might be alone? This was a much easier question to answer. When her wrinkles come early, I can't imagine being anywhere but by her side. You can read that personal narrative and the rest of the Health Humanity Journal Spring 2020 issue on our website. Ben, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for letting me. So I'm curious what drew you to studying medicine? Um, I studied engineering in college and was hoping to build uh, devices, medical devices for kids with disabilities, and thought that getting um, extra training in medical school would, I guess, uh, open up opportunities to um, talk to those patients and have a little more access to uh, the patient population I wanted to serve. And then hopefully, you know, kind of using the combined engineering degree and uh, medical degree, I'd be able to uh, help those kids better than if I was just an engineer. So you did engineering in, in undergrad. I was curious if you had any, I guess, formal education in creative writing, because I just really do love how this narrative is written. There's so many lines in this piece that honestly have stuck with me and how precisely they're phrased. Um, my favorite one has to be, they prayed that his cancer, a type known for granting miracles, would wish itself away. I mean, that was honestly one that I highlighted and copied from the first time I read this, like as a blind submission. Mm, thanks. Uh, we just have a narrative medicine class. I forget what it's called. It's like social health sciences mm -hmm. uh, at UNC. So they have everybody kind of write what they experience in the clinic. So that was the first time I kind of, I guess I journaled a lot in college, but that was it. So was that kind of your first experience of bridging medicine and the humanities? Yeah, I think so. Um, other than just kind of reflecting on every day, the SHS class is really fun to get to kind of think about what you're seeing in medicine and what you're learning about in a little um, less of a black and white kind of uh, scientific way. How do you see that interface between medicine and the humanities? What kind of value do you find there in I guess, how would you describe it? I think that uh, in my third year of medical school, I found that it was really easy to kind of compartmentalize your job from uh, work outside of school 
um, from, you know, kind of time relaxing. And it was easy then to treat each patient more as like a list of symptoms and forget about suffering that they might be experiencing or, you know, be too impatient to listen to their joys. Um, and I think that taking time to sit and write about people who you're interacting with every day keeps you attentive to their emotional well-being. And, you know, on one side, it's more difficult because you're having to acknowledge the sadness in uh, patients' lives when they aren't getting better or when they're suffering or they're in pain. But I think it also allows you to experience the grace that they experience and the joy that they experience and kind of the redemption they experience. So uh, I think just in general, like having a habit of journaling or um, kind of writing your thoughts down about patient encounters has been really helpful. Uh, in Asheville, they had us do something called it was a 60 word poem or a 66 word poem or something. And you're just supposed to like, you know, after you have like a particularly difficult or interesting kind of experience in the hospital, just to sit down and just kind of like write in pretty short form uh, what you experienced as a way to kind of reflect on it before moving on. Maybe you do that at the end of the day, not like immediately afterwards if you had other stuff going on. But that was a really helpful practice uh, to not forget lessons that you learn in caring for people. And I think just to almost honor the patients that you're serving with your thoughts and your words outside of work. So would you say that writing stories of people that you meet in the hospital has changed or affected how you look at that kind of work? Has it maybe helped you to be more understanding or empathetic towards patients? Yeah, I hope so. I think I can't say that I am the most empathetic, you know, future provider. I think in general, probably that's a, a challenge for me being more of an engineering and mathematical uh, person. But I do notice that writing allows me to be more aware of when selfishness is negatively impacting patients. So whether that's my desire to leave for the day, or if it's my desire to uh, not suffer with a patient, um, but to you know just kind of do what I'm required to do and taking care of them, or even if it's my desire to just learn, you know, kind of through a patient's suffering or their treatment um, or their experience without giving anything back. And um, I think it's easier to become aware of those kind of mistakes or downfalls when you're reflecting through writing or art or whatever. And then you can catch yourself and hopefully do that less often um, or find a way to honor the patients outside of the interaction if you didn't honor them uh, in the interaction. So I haven't kept good enough track to say, like, if I write more, I'm a better person or, you know, take care of patients better. But I think if I write more, I'm certainly more aware of things I'm doing well, ways that I'm taking care of myself well and ways I'm taking care of other people well, and then ways that I'm not doing it well. And then I guess it's just the choice then of will you take what you've noticed and change. I think awareness is always the, the first step to ensuring that we are caring for people in the in the best way that we can. Are you currently pursuing the health humanities in any way or what's your, your plan moving forward now? Um, I did not uh, get a submission in in time for the fall journal, which was my first time. I think I was six for six so far in <laughs> uh, medical school, but maybe next semester. Uh, right now I am at uh, Duke Divinity School um, taking some classes just on theology and some classes on theology and healthcare. Um, and some of that has a lot of kind of humanities and that we're reading about uh, some scientific uh, work, but then a lot of just like understanding who patients are, what suffering means, and 
the writing for that schooling has been more academic, but we still had little moments of kind of getting to share our personal experiences. Um, so that's been the kind of current humanities outlet. And just in general, I try to write something about like personal experience or some kind of clinical reflection, maybe like once a month. Um, so that's been a good, I think, helpful habit. Can you talk a little bit more about that theology and medicine class? That sounds really interesting to me. Yeah, it's uh, the theology and medicine class is focused on understanding how um, Christianity uh, has shaped and been shaped by our understanding of health. Um, so a lot of it um, earlier on was just kind of asking the question of what is health? Um, and I think in kind of modern American healthcare, health is the standardization of a body. It's the elimination of suffering, um, allowing your body to be as you know, physically fit or healthy as possible so that your mind can do the things that you hope to do with your life. Um, and I think earlier on in Christian practice, at least health was the navigation through your body towards a virtuous life. So it didn't matter if you had a limp or if you were blind in the same sense that that kind of can destroy or kind of complete someone's identity and define someone's identity today. So it's been really interesting to learn about how, you know, I think medicine maybe now sees health as virtue. You know, the virtuous life is one where there is no suffering. Um, and it's really uh, reassuring to know that that's not the only way to think. Um, and that maybe a virtuous life is one lived in spite of suffering, which could give hope to people who have chronic conditions that aren't able to be eliminated, you know, today. Uh, so it's just been interesting to kind of reorient my understanding of what health is, what the purpose of a healthy body is. And, you know, maybe even the anxiety around health is in its way a sign of unhealth in that as soon as I start to worry about um, eating the right foods and, you know, taking mental wellness breaks, I'm aware of my health and it's causing me anxiety and it's changing the way that I'm operating. Whereas like you think of a kid, uh, kids just running around and eating so they have the energy to keep on running yeah. and they're taking a break because they're tired but they're not like actively worried about their health so that's been an interesting change of like being healthy isn't necessarily the virtue in life the meaning of life but is an avenue through which we can attain meaning in other things and um, so i think that's been a really interesting kind of reorientation of um, health through the class i really love that of using these different areas of theology of the humanities to examine how we approach medicine and I guess these more analytical areas of study. So the other big subject that this narrative covers beyond the way of empathizing and, and learning from patients is really love. Um, I won't say it's rare for us to publish love stories because you kind of do sum up in this piece how caregiving itself can be a form of love, but the story is at its heart about you and your partner, I, pun not intended, I guess. Uh, why did you want to write about this and share it with the journal? One uh, unique aspect of third year of medical school was seeing how my uh, interactions in the hospital uh, were changing me. And I think that in many ways it was kind of negative in that getting used to the hospital environment, kind of just, you know, rushing through the day, trying to get through everything, worried about kind of time management, those were negative changes and maybe a loss of empathy. Um, and it was really nice to see a positive change in a new understanding of what a relationship or a commitment meant 
and to you know be confronted with uncertainty and to find hope in the patients that we're supposedly serving. It is just really refreshing to be served kind of through the wisdom of your patients. And so I thought it was one of the times during my third year when I was really positively changed and benefited from interactions with my patients and kind of decreasing my own fears about commitment uh, for a lifetime and was something that I loved. Can you talk a little bit more about this moment you describe in the piece where you came to a new understanding of the specific kind of questions you should be asking about love? Changing from like a more uh, inward, like selfish view of, of being in a relationship to to looking outward. I think certainly early on in dating, a lot of like, you know, love is kind of uh, affection for someone, infatuation, you know, with someone and just like uh, the ro- romanticization of your life. Um, you know, everything is brighter and more colorful because you're feeling, you know, in love, you've got these endorphins running. And I think that maybe that is an aspect of love. But at some point, your affection for someone changes into loyalty. And then there's this idea of if I had to spend the rest of my life doing something that I hated in order that I could care for this person, would I choose to do that? Or would I choose to leave them on their own? And I think love is the willingness to suffer someone else's pain when the world says you don't have to. And that, to me, is a more mature understanding of love that prepares you for unexpected negative things that will happen in a marriage or in a family. I feel like I could talk about this piece for hours, uh, but thank you so much for coming to speak with me and for reading it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. You can find Ben's narrative and the rest of the Health Humanities Journal Spring 2020 issue on our website linked in the show notes or go to hhj.web.unc.edu. The music you're hearing now and at the top is from Andy G. Cohen. Thanks again to Ben for coming to talk with me, and be sure to watch for our next episode to hear more from the authors of the Health Humanities Journal of UNC Chapel Hill.